generally I'd say happy Holy Trinity Sunday, but every year that this comes around I realize this is my least favorite Sunday to preach. I honestly, I hate it. Because um, I, I can't ever think of anything good to say. Because we talk about Trinity is mystery, one and three, and then it's this like landmine, f- field of, of landmines as far as like don't step on the next heresy as you preach, you know. So I'll try to be concise. I'm going to try in this homily to walk the tightrope of orthodoxy to say what is true so that I can at least appease the voices in my head that are still my seminary professors and uh, and relevancy, you know, because we can talk about all the different um, doctrines about the Trinity and the heresies and at the end of the homily just ask ourselves, what did that man just say? So I'll try to do my best to walk the tightrope. Um, while putting on my pocket protector and my glasses and pulling up my high waters and giving you the fullness of, or a part of the fullness of the Trinitarian doctrine um, while offering an examination for ourselves. But first, before we go down that route, I just want to kind of set the stage for why any of this is important at all. This is the one Sunday of the year that we don't talk about God's actions. So if you notice throughout the liturgy, throughout the years, uh, the liturgical year, we are always talking about what God does. And that's what liturgy is. We remember what God has done so that we can make present what God has done again. Now we're just talking about who is God. This is why Trinity Sunday is so difficult. Who is God? But why is it important to reflect that on all, upon that at all? Shouldn't churches make us better people to act better? Uh, for an example, within wisdom here in relationship to our student ministry, we have these weekly campus life meetings. And over the summer, we'll have a few meetings throughout, and especially at the beginning of the school year, where we will talk about vision what it is that we are trying to accomplish within campus ministry. And I typically don't like these meetings. It's a lot of like little tiny details about, you know, do we, or it's our first priority evangelism is our first priority cultivating a a culture of prayer. And at some point, everyone in the room just kind of wants to move on and talk about the events that we want to do throughout the year, which is understandable because It can get kind of lofty to think about our vision. But if we don't talk about our vision and are very clear about it, what ends up happening is this. Throughout the school year, if you were to put it on a graph, our zeal would taper off dramatically. And by March, by February of the next school year, we're going to ask ourselves, why in the world are we serving pancakes at 10 p.m.? after 9 p.m. Mass? Why do we have to do this Eucharistic procession at night whenever it's Christ the King? Why do we have to do any of these things? And the reason is because we would have lost our vision. We don't know what we are doing or, or why we are doing it. And so one of, not the only, the reason why we contemplate the Trinity is because he is our last end. 
But we also contemplate the Trinity because in looking at the Trinity, we look at ourselves because we are not made in the image of God, the Trinitarian God. So now, like I promised, I'm going to put on my pocket protector, my glasses, and pull up my high waters and give you some dorky stuff about the Trinity that you will probably not be able to repeat because the words are too big, but hopefully the concepts will be simple enough. We've learned in seminary from Theology of St. Thomas Aquinas that the Trinity is five notional acts, four relations, three persons, two processions, and one God. All right, so, all right, that's cool. I want to talk about one of those categories, how God, Trinitarian God, is four relations. Four relations. And how in examining those relations, we come to know again ourselves. And that, again, if we do not know the Trinity, then we do not know ourselves, and so we will taper off as our days and years go and wonder, who am I? And why am I trying to live this Christian faith at all? And so the first of God's relations is what Thomas says, paternity, paternity, or fatherhood. Simple enough. The way in which that we veer off of that relation is that for God, paternity is so him deeply his identity that whenever he fathers he fathers so profoundly he pours himself out so profoundly that his son shares in his divinity equal in power equal in majesty equal in goodness equal in wisdom so on and so forth now that then is kind of an examination of conscience for us. That is, whenever we pour ourselves out, do we stamp our identity onto the person or the action that we are performing? Or am I just trying to do the bare minimum all the time, trying to save myself and everything that I'm doing, not impressing myself onto the action of love or onto the person in which I am loving? paternity. We know that societally as well, that we have a paternity issue. We have a fatherly problem. The fatherly problem, I guess we could sum up, is that fathers are absent because they are not confident that if they impress themselves upon their children, that there will be something good. But God, who pours himself wholly out, can look out onto the Son, see his own divinity, because the Son is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, and know that this is good, that the Son shares in the divinity the Father. The second relation is what is called filiation. And that is simply being sonned. Filial means sonship. And so we say this about the second person of the Trinity, the Son, that the Son is sonned. That is, he receives everything 
from the Father. He receives his origin, we say, from the Father. And he is consubstantial with the Father. Light from light, true God from true God. And the way in which we fall off from this often is that now we live in a society where we don't want to receive our origins from God, from the natural law, from our family, from our traditions, from our church, but rather want to go out and define ourselves, to reject our roots. And so that is radical societally again in the gender dysmorphia conversation, rejecting my own origins, my own self, and then trickles down in many different areas where we try to define ourselves by our profession, our gifts, our talents, you name it. That we reject our origins in a desire to go and find ourselves. But it is the son who allows himself to be sunned. There is filiation. The third action within the Trinity, the third relation, is what we call common spiration. Common spiration. Now, what this means is, as we profess in the Creed, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In common, the Father and the Son breathe out the Holy Spirit. What does this tell us about the Trinity and ourselves? That the Trinity in the, in the relationship between the Father and the Son, that there is a real sharing of mission. There is a real um, sharing, uh, there's a unity of mind. There is an obvious unity of mind because there is only one divine mind. But what that looks like for us who are sinners is that a lot of times we do not commonly spirate with the church. Maybe we don't believe everything that the church believes or, or everything that the church teaches. And that from our common spiration, maybe life does not proceed as from the Father and the Son there is a third person, the Holy Spirit. We can say that what this looks like is individualism. Individualism. I live by myself for myself. And from me comes nothing. This, again, societally, is crystallized in the contraceptive mentality in the contraceptive mentality where in relations uh, between man and wife that there is a closed offness to the gift and that there is no openness to new life but again this is a mentality that colors our whole civilization that I would rather not give myself too much rather something actually good come out of it and there's a new responsibility laid upon me. There's a whole mentality that we need to face and contemplate in the goodness of God in his common spiration. And then the fourth of the dorky terms that you will hopefully never use again is spiration. That is, that the Holy Spirit is breathed out. 
He is breathed out from the Father and the Son. And that the Holy Spirit is breathed out from the Father and the Son, and he is sent. He is sent then out into the world to dwell within the hearts of man so that man might have the life of the Trinity within him. What does this tell us? That God's, in a sense, final act, though it happens continually for all eternity within the Trinity, is that God sends out. He goes out of himself. While for us, who are fallen, the mentality might be expressed in self-seeking hedonism. That I hope that in my final act, that all I do is preserve myself. That all I do is satiate my own desires. And that I seek in all, uh, all things my self-preservation. And so, in conclusion, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity says that mysticism is simply dogma that is experience. And that if we contemplate the simple and profound mystery of the Trinity, then more and more the Trinity actually dwells within us, as spiritual theologians say, in a quasi-experiential way. In a way in which we experience the Trinity, but we experience the Trinity not directly as we will in heaven, but in his actions towards us. In the same way that it would not be good for us to look directly at the sun, lest we be blind, or as we heard in that first reading, that Moses has to turn himself away from God because he cannot bear his sight, that we experience the Trinity in his actions upon us. And in a certain sense, can piece together who this mysterious Trinitarian God is. And so the way in which we do this is in simplicity. There's nothing Gnostic, there's nothing special or fancy, but it's that very simple prayer that we pray in which we do not give glory to ourselves, but to God, and saying glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen.